Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My family and I recently returned from one of our favorite places this summer, Honey Rock Camp. It's in northern Wisconsin, and Sarah and I served there for a couple of weeks as the camp uh, chaplain, assisting staff and college students in their spiritual formation and in pastoral care. It was a place that's important to us. We met there uh, a number of years ago, and... It's a place where God has worked powerfully to shape our understanding of him and our character and our lives together. When we were both in college, we participated in a program called High Road, and it was a wilderness program that uh, was three weeks, basically three weeks before our orientation as freshmen up in the, the wilderness of the upper peninsula of Michigan. We were broken up into small groups of uh, teams of eight plus two leaders, and we spent 18 days hiking, canoeing, or cycling through the Upper Peninsula, carrying all of our food and all of our gear with us. And uh, while that might sound a bit idyllic, it wasn't. It was really challenging and really difficult because we oftentimes hiked a lot farther than we thought we could, or we canoed. Uh, one, one time we canoed, we did a night canoe, 20 miles all through the night. It was those kinds of things were placed before us as challenges. Uh, we were we felt isolated. Um, we showed up for this event, a whole bunch of incoming freshmen, and we're getting to know each other right there in that moment. And all of a sudden, our leaders are saying, all right, gather your bags. We're packing up and we're leaving. And oh, by the way, take off your watches. Um, you know, we're not going to need them on this trip. And we're not going to tell you where we're going every day. We didn't have an idea. So we were really stripped down of our things and um, our, our comforts of home that uh, were important to us. And, and these moments were instrumental in shaping us spiritually and relationally as we entered college. Like I said, they were not easy days, but they were rather challenging. One particular day towards the end of my program, my leaders informed the group that uh, we were going to have a couple of final challenges before us before we returned to camp. First, we were to ride up. Oh, by the way, my, my group, uh, we didn't do any hiking or canoeing. Those were the fun things to do. We, we mountain biked, which seems really cool, except that our mountain bikes were the old steel mountain bikes. They were heavy and they had panniers on the mountain bikes front and back. And we carried all of our gear with us. So the bike weighed probably 50 or 60 pounds. It sounds kind of maybe not that big of a deal if you're riding on roads, but we were not allowed to ride on paved roads. We were required to be on uh, gravel roads or trails even. And one particular day we spent a, a better part of the day pushing our mountain bikes with all of our gear up and down the North Country Trail. It cuts right through Slippery Rock, not far from here. But it was really challenging and our instructors told us our final challenge would be a ride to Lake Superior from where we were. 
This particular day was about 45 miles worth of riding, and we were kind of excited about getting to Lake Superior because we knew once we got to Lake Superior, we were going to get a rest. We were told there would be two days of what they called solo, uh, and it meant that we were going to be spread out along the beach at 50-yard intervals, not really being able to interact with the other guys on either side of us. They didn't give us any food. All we had were our sleeping bags, our journals, and our Bibles. And we were going to go solo at the lake. Our, our water source was in front of us. It was this massive Lake Superior. So it was really simple living. We knew that was coming, but we were so exhausted from all the riding, we couldn't wait to get to this point in the trip. But that particular day didn't turn out as easy as we had hoped, 45 miles. By that point in the, in the trip, we kind of had our cycling legs and we were able to do these things. And we discovered that the 20-year-old maps we were using were not so helpful in this case. And so they had logging roads on the, the maps that had long been overgrown. And so towards the end of the day, as sun was setting, we found ourselves pushing our bicycles without a trail through the woods. And we could hear or smell the the... Uh, Lake Superior, we knew we were close to this body of water, but we couldn't see it. And we kept pushing and pushing. And it took us about two hours after the sun had set for us to make uh, the, the beach. When we finally got to the beach, we celebrated. We were so excited. We burst out in song and we started a little dance. And, and we were, uh, you know, we dove in. We were hot and sweaty and wet and uh, miserable and and so it was a great break the thing that kept us going that day was the hope of lake superior it was the hope of what we knew was certain to come but we still had some work to do to get there following that solo we ended up our instructors told us the last challenge which wasn't really the last challenge will be for you to ride back to camp now, from Lake Superior to Honey Rock is about 100 miles. And they gave us two and a half days to do it in. And so we decided we were going to go for it because we knew the sooner we got there, the more rest we'd get. And so we rode 65 miles on the first day. We finished it up on the next day. And then they said to us, oh, by the way, tomorrow we're running into camp. Oh, okay, no big deal. How far is the run? 13 miles. Like, okay, we're kind of tired of this, right? But we knew that there was a hope of camp. And once we finally got there, we were going to get a shower. We were going to get a warm meal that we didn't have to cook with bugs and floaties in it. Um, and eventually, a day or two later, we were going to make our way back to campus and start our college experience. Looking back on that experience, I can identify with that it was our hope of seeing and swimming and, and drinking the lake that kept us going. It was our hope of that meal at camp that kept us going to get us there. And our character were formed from that experience as we endured, suffered, and longed for something else and hoped in something else. In our study on the pandemic of the heart, we've been looking over the things that we need as Christians to walk faithfully with the Lord in the midst of difficult times and circumstances. And as a result of our own, um, sometimes our own faulty decisions and sin that have caused us problems. 
Today in our scripture, specifically from Romans, Paul offers us hope through these moments and experiences. So I'm going to work directly from this passage in Romans chapter 5, so have that in front of you. In this passage, the Apostle Paul orients our hearts and minds to the exact thing that we need to hope in. It's a hope that's much bigger than Lake Superior, or a, a good meal at the end of a long, hard day, or a shower. It's bigger than whatever challenges you find yourself in today, whether an illness, a pandemic, a financial burden, brokenness over a loss of relationship, a particular struggle with sin, or worry about your kids wandering from their faith. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This passage is a little bit like a merry-go-round. Because wherever you get on it, it returns to the same place. It, it's sort of this cyclical argument that Paul is making here about this idea of hope. And Paul starts with justification. For the Christian, this is always the starting point in our hope in Christ. It's the foundational doctrine which directs us to understand what God has done for us. And it has nothing to do with anything that we have done. God legally imparts a sentence upon sinners that says, not guilty. The Christian, by faith in Christ, has been justified and declared righteous by God once for all. And the result of this is that the Christian no longer lives under the fear of judgment and the wrath of God, but has peace with God. Peace that's not a subjective feeling, like the composure or tranquility of our minds, but an objective reality that means we are reconciled to God and any alienation from God is gone. But it does come with a cost. Not one we experience, though, but as the Lord Jesus Christ, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who pays for the sins of the world, who pays for your sins and mine. As a result, we are free from animosity, separation, and the wrath of God. One commentator put it this way, the mediation of Christ is not dispensed within the bestowment of the privileges which proceed from justification. And this reminds us that our dependence upon the mediation of Christ is never suspended. That is, it, it, it's an ongoing thing. All spiritual blessings are in Christ but they are also enjoyed through Christ's continued mediatory activity. Justification comes as a result of faith in the ongoing work of Christ in our lives. Verse 2 continues the idea. That is to say that even our faith in Jesus is something that is given to us by God. It's through the mediation of Christ that we have been inst instated in the justification, the grace of justification. 
This is an abiding and immovable status in the Christian that arises from Jesus's past action on the cross as the one who takes away the sins of the world. And it brings peace with God for those who have faith. As a result, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is, we then celebrate, rejoice, we cheer, we sing songs with gladness, we take pleasure in, we exalt the Lord because of what he has done in Christ. We do a little dance at the shore of Lake Superior. This is our response to the reality of the justified believer. Joy. The glorying is a state of mind in the present, but that which evokes it is something to be realized in the future. This future attainment is brought into relation to the present by hope. We project ourselves in hope, so hope turns our attention to the future, awaiting and longing for a future reality that has already set in, Paul tells us. How can the believer's hope be called the glory of God? For this, we have to remember that the believer is to be conformed into the image of that glory that will be revealed. 1 John 3, chapter 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The revelation of God's glory at the coming of Christ will be epitomized in the consummation of redemption for the children of God. When the glory of God is revealed, this current and present possession will attain the full fruition of its meaning. One commentator says, The glory of God is the Christian's chief end, and we long for and hasten unto the day when, with undimmed vision, we will behold the glory of God in its full exhibition and vindication. In verses 3 and 4, we see our response to the reality of hope in Christ. We are again commanded to rejoice. No matter the circumstances in our lives, Paul tells us to rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. In doing so, Paul can even rejoice in the suffering and tribulations he endures. Paul is not so heavenly minded that he is no earthly good. He's not simply spiritualizing these ideas. For Paul and for us, there's a present reality of Christ's engagement and presence in our tribulations that brings about a rejoicing hopefulness of the future. Why? Because he instructs us in verse 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's very presence is at work in the lives of believers as we go through these trials and tribulations. By the way, the tribulations that Paul endured were significant. Now here's his list from a couple of different passages. A little bit later on in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, he speaks of tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Four verses later, he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men, we are fools for Christ's sake. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. When we become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Second Corinthians chapter 11 says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches." You might write your own list as well. What are your trials and tribulations? Through these difficulties, Paul understands that what they produce in each Christian are important characteristics. He says that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. We can therefore rejoice in hope and in the tribulation because they initiate a sanctifying process which ends in hope. Paul has described this circle beginning with hope and ending with hope. And we can rejoice in difficult circumstances because they have an eschatological orientation. That is, whatever difficulties and challenges we experience today, our means of hope for a better future in Christ at his return. God is working in and through these events in our lives that seem unbearable and unsustainable because of the work God has done in Christ. Paul wants his reader to know that our current circumstances must be framed by what is to come. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, wrote, Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It's not com it is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying. And hope is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God then put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. That is not hoping in God, but bullying God. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. 
My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning. Waiting and watching until morning. Sarah reminded me the other day as I was thinking about this passage that the word for to hope, the verb, is the same word in Spanish as the word to wait. There's a connection there. And I did a little research and found that, sure enough, the biblical authors understood that too. Paul uses this word to hope. The psalmist uses the word to hope. The same verb. To wait on the Lord. That's what Paul was doing. It's what was, it, it, it was what my wilderness group had to do as we actively sought for and worked toward Lake Superior. That's what we need to do in the midst of a pandemic of our heart. Remember the psalm for the day that utilizes the same verb. For God alone, my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Amen.